inside the game reviews and the Unified Gamers Network, you're listening to Big Red Potion Co-op Mode. My name is Sinan Killer, I am your host today, and I am joined by regular guest of the show, but he is no regular guy. He is a superstar who writes for G4 TV, for Games Abyss, Game Set Watch, and a whole host of other places. He is, of course, the man who dons the finest moustache in the whole of Portland, Oregon, uh, Mr. Jeffrey Matleff. Hello. (laughs) Off the top of my head as well. That's not a bad introduction from off the top of my head. Mm. That that was a very impressive introduction. I I don't know if I have the best mustache in all of Portland. You need to get a look at Corvus Elrod. His handlebars were were much greater than mine ever were. So I I think the hand, you know, I've I've seen your new your new mustache in a few photos, and I think it's it's it might be less showy, uh, you know, more traditional, but it's it's got an edge of class about it, and I and I think uh, I think it might be even better than what was there before. Oh, thank you. That, that's that's good to hear because otherwise I have no class, so it'll make. <laughs> that's what it's there for. That's its job. Anyway, before we continue boring all, all of our uh, listeners with mustache chat, uh, we should get out to the games. So we're doing a, a What You've Been Playing segment. And, yeah, uh, no. Oh, sorry, carry on. Okay. I wasn't sure if you wanted to, to introduce it. It's your segment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the, the game that I'm most interested to hear about from Sinan that he got a chance to play early was Castlevania Lords of Shadow. So Sinan, take it away. Oh, certainly. Um, yeah, I, I um, was very uh, lucky to, and uh, graciously invited to Konami Studios here in London, the office, uh, and got to play Lords of Shadow for about six hours. Well, actually, more like five and a half hours, because I got a bit lost on the way. <laughs> um, so uh, I didn't get there quite in time. Um, and curiously enough, actually, because this is the thing, I was using my, my girlfriend's iPhone to get there. So uh, the Google Maps application on, on the iPhone, and it um, it sent me to somewhere which was on the same road, but completely not the right place. And a road right next to this place was called Belmont Road, which like <laughs> left me really confused. It's like, well, maybe maybe Konami are being really clever about this. Maybe I've, I've kind of maybe this is where it is, and then kind of eventually realised that no, just Google Maps didn't understand that this was. The, the the right place in terms of where the number would be on the road, but no, well, maybe you, where the right place was. You were the false place. The real place only appears on a full moon on Belmont uh, Lane. Do you see that? It was the middle of the day, so I couldn't tell. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I did eventually get there, and I did play Lord of Shadow for a good half a day. I got through about um, a third of the game. It split up into three acts. And I got through right to the end of the first act and, and finished off the first boss. And um, just to kind of provide some background on, you know, my my history of Castlevania, because there isn't any. Um, I've never played a Castlevania game. I've played some Metroid games, but I've, I've never played a Castlevania game. Not for not wanting to, just because it's not one of those series that I actually knew much about when I was growing up. Um, and really anyone that I've, I've learned more about since I've come back into gaming. And uh, so... I came into to this game completely fresh, uh, with no sort of prior history of Castlevania, but they are describing it as a reboot. 
um, like in terms of playstyle, in terms of the story, in terms of everything. And so I kind of felt like we're all on the same foot here. I, I, I don't know if like, I, I mean, I don't know. Have you played many Castlevanias in the in the past, Jeff? Uh, yeah, I've played almost all of them, or at least all the two D later ones. I mean, the first the first couple of NES ones I may have, don't remember, but from Super Metroid and um, Symphony of the Night on, I played all all those. I've not played any of the 3D ones. I've heard the, the early ones weren't so good, but the, the later 3D ones I've heard kind of mixed things about, and they sound kind of interesting, but still, yeah. the series has always kind of been known for, uh, for not really making the transition too well. So That's, that's the thing. Like, I, 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 don't, I, I got the impression from what I read that there was difficulty in really kind of replicating the platforming elements that had made the 2D games so popular, which is, you know, often the case with games which don't really transition from 2D to 3D, that it's the platforming that's the niggle. Like, a, you know, I think you could look at the Sonic games as a, as a really great example, and there are so many, actually, games you could name which just haven't been able to transition because of their platforming. Um, so I guess what you have in, in Laws of Shadow is a game that really doesn't focus on its platforming at all and um, is a very much a hack and slash game, like it's it. You would, in terms of the three D hack and slash games, you would you would compare it to to God of War probably most of all, um, with shades of like Devil May Cry and um, a bit of Golden Axe Beast Rider in, in one of its elements in terms of taming animals, which I'll, I'll talk about later. But ostensibly, it's very much like God of War, you know the, the the main character, a guy called Gabriel Belmont, who's voiced by um, Robert Carlyle, the actor, uh, who does a really good job actually. But um, yeah, he's he's got a weapon called uh, the Combat Cross, which very much is a chain whip. So it has a long thrusting attack, and it has these kind of range attacks, which are a bit shorter. Um, if you, can, it's going to sound a bit uh, a bit mean to the game because. I think in terms of like its its core structure, in terms of its combat, uh, how how it uh, gives out like extra moves, you know, all the, you know, in the typical kind of hack and slash way, you you give, you build up experience points or currency, and you unlock further stuff as you go along. You can purchase stuff. You know, these these are how these games have worked for a long, long time. It's very, very traditional and doesn't really try to do too much. Um, it's got a, a a few sort of ideas in terms of like I said, this Golden Axe Beast Rider kind of style thing where you, where you uh, can mount these like really large creatures and choke them down and, and, and then tame them and, and, and use them to attack other enemies. But if you kind of ignore all that stuff, like it's actually just a, a very traditional hack slash game, but it's, I think it's got, oh, I'm trying to word this right. It's really well designed. It, it's really well paced. Um, you always feel like you've got something new coming around the corner. The you you never feel bored of the combat. The the worlds you're going through are very somber, morose places. Like there there are these swamps which are kind of uh, festering, and uh, there's this really sort of haunting orchestral music throughout. And there's like these these regal halls where um, like there are these these gargoyle statues. Like it's just a a very well designed hack and slasher, but not with that kind of over-the-topness which you kind of associate with the genre. Like, you think of Bayonetta and you think of Devil May Cry, and they're really over-the-top, gratuitously ridiculous games. And this one's got a 
a bit more maturity about it, which I think suits the the series, you know, and it's and it's ties to Dracula, which is a really dark thing. But I guess I don't know. You'll know more than me. But I never, I, and it never struck me that Castlevania games in the past really went for that kind of mature angle. Um, Castlevania games have always had pretty terrible writing, as far as I'm concerned. They always have just they had generally had too much talking. At least the later ones did, um, and plots and characters that really nobody cared about that you just kind of wanted to shut up. So it's never really been a strong suit. Um, as far as being dark, eh, I mean, it, it was mostly just the art direction that's dark. Like, the, the story's just too forgettable to really even warrant any, a second thought. So I never really, really considered that. Um, I played the demo of Lords of Shadow at E3, and I was pretty underwhelmed by it, because I was really looking forward to the game a lot. You know, I love the 2D games, and the, the fact that Kojima was involved gave me high hopes for this one, even if he didn't have a, that active a role, just the fact that, it, you know, it had a stamp of approval and, you know, it was kind of overlooking the production um, made me think that it would have a lot a lot of interesting tricks up its sleeve. The demo was pretty short, though, so I'm not... I, I didn't want to totally judge the game based on that. It was only about five, ten minutes, and I believe it's the tutorial area. We're just kind of outside of town finding werewolves in the rain. Is that how right. the game starts yeah, off? Yeah, that's how the game starts off, yeah. And it just it just felt very, very much like God of War. I mean, you have a long-range attack, the shorter, heavier attack. You had the glowing green fountain where you replenish health. It, and I like God of War all right, but I feel like I'm kind of sick of those games after three of them. I don't want a fourth one. So that part had me pretty underwhelmed. However, I, I went back and read some some previews of it, and it sounded like, combat was only meant to be about a third of the game from the way you described it, it sounds like it's quite a bit more is that is that fair i'm i i don't know if i'd say that I, I would think combat is pretty much the biggest part of the game um there are puzzle and platforming elements but it's strictly a, a combat game um with a bit of exploration i guess attached to it um and then like i said these platforming and puzzle elements but i, I think yeah, I, I could see why you would be underwhelmed because that opening is—it does paint it very much like God of War, and I—and I—I'm not saying I don't think it necessarily departs from that too much, but I think it does a, a couple of things, which, uh, in in terms of its combat, which make it more interesting. Like I said, there's this this golden axe piece right around him where you you find these large creatures and you have to uh, defeat them and then tame them and use them to get rid of other enemies and unlock these puzzles, and that's that's quite interesting and it, it works quite nicely. Um, and then there's the the uh, the magic. Um, later on in the game, much much later after the tutorial, you unlock light magic and you unlock shadow magic. Um, and you can only ever have one of these activated at any time. If you have light magic activated, it will drain health from enemies. And if you have shadow magic activated, it will deal deal greater damage. And it sounds like okay, that's, that sounds quite basic on paper, but that is. I've, you could see hint. I, I could see hints in, in my time of the game that it, it's a real tactical thing to actually know when to use the light magic and when to use the shadow magic in terms of which enemies you're facing. Knowing, well, can I can I get some hits in and get some health back, or is it more important that the hits I make are you know more more damaging because I'm going to die pretty quickly otherwise? So I thought that was quite interesting and, and kind of a, a basic thing that actually adds quite a large layer of, of sort of tactical uh thought to it um but i really think it, it it's 
like I said, there, there's something to it in terms of the world that you're in, uh, and and the feeling and the atmosphere. Like, like God of War is so excessive. <laughs> you know, it, I I think all these these hacking slashes are really excessive. Um, you really feel like you're being overwhelmed by the game. Like I think of the ones I've, I the one I played this year, Bayonetta, and that's just in your face from from start to finish. Um, this is just a bit subtler, a bit more. Uh, like I said, morose, and the, and the story's you know quite a sad one. You you play this guy who's recently lost his wife, and uh, that seems to be connected to what's going on in this world and how he's going to save it. And it's it gets quite dark quite quickly in its story, and it it's just I don't know. It, it it's I think just a bit more interesting in terms of atmosphere and story for, than that genres than that genre typically sees. I don't know if that's that's me because I'll admit I've not. I'm not huge on that genre. It's not one of my favourites. So I, there may be games I'm not thinking of and I've missed out, but it, seems, it strikes me as a bit unusual. Yeah, that's actually a good point. I mean, hack-and-slash games have typically been kind of equated with having bad stories or just taking themselves not too seriously because, um, you know, hacking a bunch of creatures isn't a very good story. So, um, you know, it is something that's kind of ridiculous to do. So I guess that's kind of interesting. I'm more... Just wondering how, what's the overall pace like? I mean, you said that combat is more than a third. Would you say it's like two thirds of the game, or like how much? I think uh, I'd say it's probably something between just just over two thirds. Um, okay. So you you are getting puzzles every so often, there, and the puzzle levels are explicitly puzzle levels, um, and they, you know they they were quite interesting. Unfortunately, the there's one in the in the first act which hopefully they'll change by the time it releases. But when I played it, it was fairly terrible. Uh, it, it, I, I just don't understand why developers put when you have a, a puzzle level, they feel it necessary to have some uh, detached voice saying, "Hurry up! You've got to find two more of these, or we won't be able to get through." As if you've yeah. suddenly forgotten, like halfway through. And, it, and this voice was appearing like every far, every minute, or not probably even worse, like every half every half minute, and that just great, especially when the level itself is not particularly well designed, which this one sadly was not, but um, I, I, I'd put that more down as a one-off, and I, you know, I think if there if there are strong puzzle levels in it, then it could feel like a bit more uh, multi-layered and, and less combat-heavy, which I guess is kind of what you're worried about. Yeah, and since you haven't played Castlevania games, you probably know that they're games, they have puzzles, but they're not hugely puzzle-focused. They're a lot closer to something like Metroid than something like Zelda. Um, you know, you occasionally have to use an ability, and it, it, it feels almost like the, the hidden stuff that you find, um, like the, the really secret stuff, is almost more like an Easter egg. Because in something like Metroid, you have a pretty good sense of, okay, Ice Beam freezes stuff, Brackley Hook will work on these surfaces, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Castlevania, it's like you mostly just find loot just exploring the castle. You know, new, new armor and weapons and, and so on and so forth. And occasionally there'll be like something really secret that you probably never figure out on your own. Like if you use this one spell on this one area, something cool will happen. But it's it's not something that you really need to do. So in that regard, they're not quite as, as puzzle-focused as... Uh, as for their games, I'm curious, what's, what's the format like in terms of, of backtracking? Because Castle, well, more recent Castlevania games since Symphony um, 
have been more like Metroid, where you go back to areas with new abilities and go to new areas. And I was kind of under the impression this would be more linear. Yeah, but heard- it, it, it's, it's much more linear. It's, it's very typical. Um, you know, if you think of, I guess, you know, Devil May Cry is the one which kind of involves a lot of backtracking. Um, this is much more just, you know, straight down the middle. You go through an area and you get to the end and you go through, through to the next area. But what In terms of, like we were saying about sort of bonus stuff for exploring um set out in your in your i think it's called the the travel book which is like your your menu screen you can see uh your your map of areas all the the different levels and there's a little percentage uh marker by each one saying how much you've completed of it and in my playthrough i was getting through sort of on average maybe 30 or 40 percent so there's clearly loads i was missing i don't think it's it's quite like the metroid stuff where you're using different stuff to get to to, to different things, although clearly, obviously, there was some stuff I couldn't get to because I didn't have the right thing. So there was a bit of that. But uh, in terms of the puzzles, it's it's much more. Um, God, it's not even really very Zelda-y. It, it's 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 so the puzzle. That, yeah, I think God of War is a is a pretty is a pretty safe comparison. It's it's just you know very explicitly a puzzle that you it's almost in in one instance you know you're not even in the same perspective. You're just you're you're given like a, a set of rotational platforms and you're using the D-pad to move them around uh, to fit the puzzle. So it's it's, it's you know completely separate from the main play of the game. Well, I, mean, I think a, a bigger aspect to, to the Castlevania series more so than puzzles is just exploration. For example, in the all the DS and and um, Game Boy Advance games, they measure your percentage based on how much of the map you've uncovered. Right. So. I was more curious, like, does this kind of feel, even though you're going through it at a linear pace, can you still go back to any, po- any part of the game, more or less at any time, like you could in, say, Arkham Asylum? Or yeah, is absolutely. It... Okay, absolutely, so it's yeah. still, even though you progress to the main plot in a linear fashion, you can still have access and roam around and discover secrets at, at a whim. It's not just point A to point B, like God of War. No, no. You you can go back. You can select all their areas. I didn't. I I didn't obviously when I was playing through because I wanted to just storm through and see as much as I as I could. Um, and it reminds me actually, one of the major things I've, I've failed to mention, which is another really interesting aspect of the combat, is the is the boss fights, which are real um, Shadow of the Colossus affairs. I mean, the, Konami and and uh, Mercury Christine, the developer, and uh, Kojima Productions, all been very explicit in this in their comparison of these boss fights to Shadow of the Colossus, because why wouldn't you? That's a, that's a great game, which uh, has got such iconic fights that, you know, that there haven't been many games like it. So to actually see a game trying to to resurrect in, in boss fights, it's, it's not nearly as, as good or even the same thing, but it is, it is like, interesting, and it, there is a real sense of scale to these, these bosses, and they're real challenges, um, which is great like uh, there's this ice titan where you're basically having to try and climb him and stay holding onto him whilst he he shakes and shakes and shakes and you're slowly climbing him up and then eventually get to a point where you can hack at him and then you go to another point where you can hack at him and it's it's not excessively complicated or excessively difficult but it there is a, an element of challenge to it and it is got it's got that scale and it, it's more interesting than i guess your typical boss fight which is usually just a really tough guy where you have to try and work out that, that hidden thing um this is it's different it's and it, 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 i really enjoyed the boss fights actually okay were there quite a few i was a little worried when you told me earlier that the game was three chapters i imagine each chapter is huge since you barely got past the first one in five and a half hours yeah no i mean there were there were 
there are chapters and acts, and I and I got through the first act, and I think there are about ten or twelve chapters in that first act. And in that first act, I fought two bosses, um, two of these big behemoth like Shadow of the Colossus type bosses. Anyway, there were there are a few mid bosses uh, scattered around, but yeah, no, I think probably in the whole game you're probably five or six. It sounds like a a likely number I'd say for how many you'd fight through so it's not going to be just uh, Shadow of the Colossus Redux or anything like that well I was more concerned there would only be like three of these encounters right. so it sounds like there's a few more and hopefully there'll be a, a good array of mini bosses then because Castlevania games have always had some of the best bosses in 2D gaming and they're usually giant screen filling affairs and just really in art direction and I'm, I'm hoping we have a, a good amount of them Mm. It will be it'll be interesting to see. Like, I, the thing is, with a hacker slash game, you you really can't get your final opinion on it from its from its first few hours because these games evolve so much throughout. Um, so I, you know, I'm I'm excited for it, but who knows what it will be like when it releases? But it is like really soon. It's crept up out of nowhere, really. Laws of Shadow. Um, to think, you know, like it's been in, we've kind of known about it for a while, but the concrete stuff has been actually quite slow and and all of a sudden now it's actually here it's going to be out in two months time so uh yeah we'll all get to play it soon and uh i hope i hope it lives up to the potential that it, it definitely showed in that in that six hours and uh if it does you know it'll be a, a fine entry as not not one of the best games this year i, I can't see it being that but it, you know a good game a, a strong game understating how it's been received <laughs> and uh, I think that game only just comes to the UK so a lot of uh, our UK listeners will be really interested to hear your opinion on it and that game is of course Deadly Premonition Ooh, Is it out already in the UK? I knew it was being uh, taken over there shortly I will have a look as we speak but um, why don't you you tell us about it Okay. Um, so Deadly Premonition I'm sure a lot of people have heard of it that it it initially got some very low scores. I believe it was IGN gave it a one and a half or a two or something at the bottom of the barrel like that. And then Destructoid gave it a 10, basically saying that it was so bad it was good. So I, I kind of heard both sides of the spectrum. Our own Joe D'Elia reviewed it for a Big Red Potion, and he wasn't too fond of it. Um, he kind of felt like the, the dialogue and the um, some of the quirkier elements were really funny and entertaining, but the actual core gameplay was just such a slog. And at the time, I had agreed with him with my limited knowledge of the game, which was basically consisted of watching my girlfriend play it and handling hand the controller here and there just on occasion. But once I actually played the game myself, I totally agree with Joe from the beginning. The thing that everyone should know about Deadly Premonition is that if you play without any help, you're probably going to hate it because two of the best items in the game that that just vastly increase how fun it is are so hidden that you'll probably never find them on your own. The first is a radio that allows you to fast travel to places you've been to, 
because there's so much driving in the game, and the driving is just terrible. Like, the map is, is so zoomed in on the town, and there's no option to zoom out and any further than a few square blocks. So just finding a way to navigate from point A to point B is just such a pain in the ass. So um, getting the radio is good. In order to get it, it's it's bizarre. You have to, like, pick up a flower that only appears in a range and give it to a guy who's only at his house during a certain time of the day, and you can only do that during certain missions. And a lot of walkthroughs recommend that you reload a previous chapter to give it to him and then continue on with your game. And it's, it's, I just got so frustrated trying to get this side quest to work. Um, but once I did, that vastly increased the game, or vastly improved the game. The first I'm five or six hours... Gonna, I'm just going to quickly interrupt you, Dev, just to say um, that, yeah, the, it, you're quite right. It's not, it's not come out in the, uh, in the UK yet. It's coming out in Europe in, on September 17. And just looking at, it, at this Wikipedia page, I'm reminded of the reason I was interested in this, in this game. Because we've already had one survival horror uh, with a real strong Twin Peaks element in it. And that was, of course, Alan Wake, which I felt, as a big Twin Peaks fan, didn't really do uh, its source material justice. Um, I don't know if, you, if you've watched Twin Peaks, but, I've, I've, um, you know, it's got this... Twin Peaks is a really crazy, strange show. It's, it's just really oddball um, in terms of how it goes through its story and how it connects all these characters together. Uh, really strange directing, uh, very sort of dramatic, really unexpected dramatic changes, very strange camera angles as well. I, I just wondering, you know, do you, do you kind of see that in, in Deadly Premonition and uh, that kind of oddball way of uh, approaching a story and approaching this survival horror? For the most part, I think that... Um that Deadly Premonition does get the Twin Peaks vibe very well. Initially, it almost feels like a ripoff. There's there's some motifs that are just a little too close to Twin Peaks. You're like, okay, I've you know I've seen this before, but it still has its own story. Uh, I think that one thing that maybe makes it not as good as Twin Peaks is that game had such a great supporting cast of all the townspeople, and in this there's just not enough time to develop all of them. So the main character and and the few bigger supporting characters are well-developed, but a lot of the townspeople just have kind of like their one scene where they give you info and that's kind of it. Um, but beyond that, the the structure of it and how it goes to places that you wouldn't expect is very much like Twin Peaks. And the really the best thing about Deadly Premonition, the reason that people should play it, the reason I, I recommend it, you know, more than anything is it has one of the best protagonists I've ever seen in a video game. Oh, wow. Tell, um, tell us about it, him, then. So the main character, um, Special Agent Francis York Morgan, is, he's an FBI agent who has a split personality and is always talking to his, his other self, Zach. And it, it didn't dawn on me for a little while that, that Zach is supposed to be the player or is seemingly supposed to be the player. It's a little murky there. Um, exactly what's going on with Zach, and that's, you know, kind of a big mystery throughout the game, but he, he'll often just turn to the side and be like, did you hear that, Zach? And... and that's, like, really <laughs> congruent, isn't it, with, like, how Twin Peaks did it with, with, uh, with uh, Agent Cooper always talking to his, um, his tape recorder to Diane, mm-hmm. which is always, like, really odd and really, like, you know, it really sort of confuses you at times, you know, these these odd notes that he leaves for himself. So, 
That, that really sounds interesting to me. Oh, yeah. And it's been a while since I've seen Twin Peaks, but does he do that mid-conversation with people? He just is it's kind of like this thing where he he does it kind of at the end of stuff. I mean, there's a, a really kind of memorable scene at the beginning of the, the second season where he's he's lying on his um, hotel floor shot and he just starts talking to the tape recorder in the hope that it's recording just to kind of i think you know in the in the hope that he's talking to someone just to kind of keep himself sane and it i i, I don't know i i just thought it was a really interesting element and that's something that that really kind of makes me interested to play this game just to see kind of a, a play on it and it, and to link it to the player as well that must be really good actually really confusing oh yeah it's it's great, and and the funny thing is, he, he always does this right in front of other people, and nobody ever comments on it. Well, eventually somebody does, but but they never really follow it up that much. Like there's one really hilarious scene where he he goes to the side of a murder, and he comes out, and his the local sheriff, and then the the deputy, um, you know, they're questioning him about it, and he's like, you know, the murder site's in there. Zach and I saw it. One more thing. Don't ask me about Zach. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he's always just having um, one of the coolest things that they, they kind of stop doing after the beginning, um, or they kind of do it here and there when you reach a new chapter, is to have these hilarious conversations with Zach while you're just driving around. And they'll often be just really bizarre conversations about 80s movie, movie trivia. <laughs> and he'll be like, I'd be like, that reminds me, Tremors. Now that was a great movie. It had my several- girlfriend loves those movies. She's got the whole entire box set on the desk. <laughs> like, like it had four sequels, but I only ever saw the first one. That movie that was a great role for Kevin Bacon. It also had Jack Ward in it. You say Jack Ward, I say Remo Williams. The adventure begins. Now, that was a great movie. <laughs> he just kind of goes on like this. And, surreal. Yeah, it's so bizarre. And the thing about York that makes him compelling, there's so many things. I mean, Zach is one element to it. Um, I really like the way he's animated. You know, the graphics of the game are, are generally quite poor, but it does faces very well, especially York's. Like, he has a very, a very interesting look to him. I mean, he's got a couple scars that are kind of unique, but beyond that, there's nothing about him that's that outlandish for character design but he just looks he he has a distinct look though like i I can't really place it and just kind of looks very compassionate and caring even though his mannerisms aren't he he's very like he's often kind of insulting to the town people like you'll find these two twin boys that that were the first to find the body and you know the the sheriffs will want to you know, not talk to them about it or talk to them about it later. And he's like, no, we'll just do it now. And, or, or he has a hunch that the killer has a tattoo on their back. And he's, so he'll tell the sheriff and the deputy, I need to see your backs. <laughs> and even though he has no reason to suspect them over anybody in the town. And he's just, you know, we'll go up to people and be like, show me your back. I'm sorry, but I have my way of doing things. And, you know, he's just like so steadfast about the way that he does things. And I I think that what it is, is like he he's so out of touch with humanity and unaccommodating, but he has such a soft voice that he never really seems like a jerk, even when he's doing 
these jerky things, you kind of, he has a great sense of authority. Like he's the kind of a guy that you'd want to listen to. And, and I think it's, it's just so fascinating to watch investigate. Kind of reminds me of Sherlock Holmes, how Sherlock was, was just totally nuts, but you knew that he kind of had control just on this, where his crazy hunches would lead. And, and York just gets that down pat. And, and also I want to talk about the atmosphere of the game because, you know, it's Sterling, you know, destructive way to mention how it, it's so bad. It's good. And I think got a, a lot of um, publicity for just being so off the wall and crazy. And then later on, there was a little bit of defense saying that the game was actually quite serious. And, and if you take it at face value, it actually has a lot of, of interesting stuff to say. And I'm kind of in the middle on that. The first act or so is very comedic and just really goofy and ridiculous with, with York, you know, finding uh, um, premonitions in his coffee. There's you know that famous scene where he looks at the, the cream swirling into his coffee and it kind of looks like it says FK. And he just goes, FK in the coffee. Clear as a crisp spring morning. And he's just so... He gets a lot of his hunches from random things that he sees around the town. And it starts out very comedic, but as the game goes on, you really start to care about these characters. And it, the horror elements are also just genuinely unsettling. And maybe it's because I was playing in the middle of the night in a dark room with headphones, but I found the game actually quite unnerving, a lot more than I expected when I thought it was just a B, you know, B game, just a trashy Silent Hill wannabe. Um, so, so, so my question is like, why, why, why do you think it has like divided opinion so much? Because, you know, like you said, IGN gave it one and one and a half out of ten, and Joe really disliked it. Um, whereas Jim, Jim had, Sterling over at Destructed had that, like you said, this, this so bad it's good thing, and then like like you're saying now, there's this kind of defense to that where people say no, it's actually you know so good it's good in a way, um, like. Why has that happened? Do you think there's been some mis- misinterpretation on one side of the argument? Um, you know, that's a tough one. I think it's just because maybe the game just welcomes so many different ways of viewing it because the beginning is so goofy. I think a lot of people go into it very detached and and just thinking it's ridiculous. Because when I I watched a good amount of my girlfriend play through the first third of it, and we were just, you know laugh at it the whole time and like kind of work on an article and then she gets a cut scene and I look over and, you know, have a good laugh at its expense. Um, so I think that maybe the beginning is it throws people off and it, it kind of creeps up on you how it gets more serious. But even when it gets more serious then it still throws out really ridiculous stuff. So I think it just is such a tonally inconsistent game. And, you know, Twin Peaks was quite tonally inconsistent. And I'm, I'm surprised that Twin Peaks had a more or less mainstream following, that it was such a big hit. Um, so I think that a, a big part of the so bad part of Deadly Premonition is that mechanics are not good. Uh, you know, I mentioned driving being a big pain in the ass. The, the map doesn't zoom out. Um, the combat is pretty terrible. Um, it's, it actually becomes kind of fun once you get the unlimited ammo um, machine gun. Then, then it, it sounds like it would be too easy, and it, it is. I actually played the game on easy mode because I didn't want to have to put up the combat having um, played it here and there before. 
but but it's still unsettling even on easy mode even though you know you're not actually going to get a game over just being in these environments of constantly respawning enemies with, with sluggish controls um there's just a lot of little things for example destroying a box takes like 10 gunshots or so and usually there won't be anything in the box maybe there you'll get lucky and you know, something uh, there's like like a good example of something that's just way more frustrating than it should be is that some of the main locations of the game, like say the police station, you can go up to their windows and peek in them, which, which sounds cool. But in order to do that, you have to step on this like little tiny ledge, something that's probably like eight inches tall. And to do that, you need to like go up, hit the A button, and there'll be kind of like a little cutscene of York like stepping up on top of it. You don't just do it naturally. Like, any time that you have to step over anything in the game, you have to do that. And so you first step over on the ledge, and then you have to peek in, in the room. And if I remember correctly, you still have to wait for a load screen, because peeking into the place is still counted as entering that, that location. And it just made me never want to do it. Like, it's an interesting idea that maybe, if you're lucky, you could watch somebody doing something in, in their workplace and maybe up to, up to something, but I never really... Um, investigated it because it was so clunky to do. Um, you know, the driving's terrible. Also, you can run out of gas in your car. And if you you have a flare, that will have somebody pick you up. But it's not an unlimited thing. You start out with one of them. And luckily, I never needed one because I I got the unlimited, or excuse me, I got the warp item quite early on. Um, but if you do run out of gas, you will be stuck for forever. And there's, there's so many things like that. Like, um, you have to to keep eating in the game. Um, or if you run out of, of um, your little food meter, your health will start draining. And there's like no place to get food when you're in the, the quote unquote dungeon areas or the combat areas. So that, that was never an issue for me, at least playing on easy, but I could imagine that happening and then you just be totally screwed. So the, and you can't really reload an earlier save. It has this weird system where you can replay an early, an earlier chapter but it only saves your progress once you complete that chapter, and then you still have to continue from where you left off. You can't change your difficulty midway. Um, I mean, I think a lot of it just comes down to the the driving and combat, which are, you know, the main mechanics of the game are really bad, and the controls <laughs> are just really sluggish, and, you know, I mentioned some of the side missions are tricky, even if you know what to do, you have to find the right person at the right time, and you know, I kind of would recommend a guide if you want to do that. Oh, also, the side missions, there's tons of them, and they warrant such vastly different results in terms of how useful they'll be. A lot of them just give you trading cards, which are totally worthless. And then other ones will be like, yeah, here's the warp items, and you can never have to worry about gas or traveling again for the most part. Um, so there's just there's so many things that make the game just a chore, especially in the beginning. Um, also, characters talk kind of slow it's not that they talk that slow it's just there's kind of like awkward pauses between it when characters talk as if they're doing this via satellite um so some of the earlier cutscenes can really drag on for a while where like what's happening is funny but i still want to hurry to move a little faster i, I think i twittered that playing through the game kind of felt like playing through a through a game in Jello, like everything about it just moves a little too slow 
So, you know, really, I, I wasn't sure if I was even going to beat the game. I was mostly playing it because I wanted to, to use elements of it for, for my next column. And I wanted to really get to the bottom of this act mystery. So I thought that was really interesting narrative device. Um, and I was like, I don't know if I'm going to finish this game. But, you know, if you go online and you look up how to get fast traveling into Nano, by the time I got that, like, the game got so much better. And, and one of the other things that makes the game really good is the it, it's consistently surprising i kept thinking the game was going to end for like the last six hours that i played it like i get to a scene like okay this is it this is the climax like i'm outside the killer's apartment and i'd still have you know several hours to go and there'd just be like one scene after another that was just consistently surprising and consistently climactic and the overall story i felt was I was a little disappointed in it, but it didn't really bother me as much as I thought. Because I kept thinking, wow, this game's really going in some interesting directions. I think that this actually could be a classic. And this, it just gets kind of, it goes in some supernatural places. I think I could say that without spoiling too more. I was kind of hoping that it would have a more logical explanation. But, but no, it's, it's pretty whacked out. It's, I mean, this is the thing. It, like listening to you describe it, it just—it sounds like the Twin Peaks game I wanted Alan Wake to be, which it never was. It, it, and I mean, I—I'm—I I'm, <laughs> have to admit, I'm all of a sudden incredibly interested. I mean, it—it it does sound like you're going to have to go into it with a bit of a bit of thick skin, and you know, being able to take a lot of these bad elements, like you're saying, the the main mechanics are just poor, but. All the things you're saying, like you know, a story which is kind of stunted and unpredictable and weird and quirky and has these supernatural elements and this this strange uh, character who main character who's kind of brilliant and at the same time he's he's got these really strange elements to him. Like it's it it just sounds exactly like Twin Peaks to me, um, which I guess you know is why it's drawn all the comparisons and. Uh, and then why they're so explicit in saying that it's influenced by it. But, uh, you know, I, I, I know you said you, you haven't played Alan Wake. I, I thought really in, that was, it was derivative, not just in terms of, uh, well, it, it, it's story, um, from so many sources that it kind of became a mesh of nothing. Uh, but it, it's play was just very, very dull. And, uh, I, I would rather, you know, the, to try something which at least is trying something different. It maybe the play is poor in, in Deadly Premonition, but is it's it sounds like it's just more intriguing. Like you you actually want to see what's around the next core winner. Whereas in Alan Wake, like I, I, a lot of the time, I didn't I didn't really I didn't really care about what was around the next corner. And having said that, Alan Wake is a perfectly decent game. I, I actually enjoyed it, but it wasn't the game I was expecting it to be in it. I think this game, like Deadly Premonition, I, I I was put off completely after you know reading Joe's review, but after listening to you now, like I've, I, I'm not sure I'm going to like it, but I really want to. play Well, you know, Joe has a point. Like I'm, I'm kind of glad that I wasn't reviewing this game or at least scoring it because there's, there's really, um, two ways to go about this. Like, uh, on one hand, if if I had played this game in Bargoed, I would have given it a you know, a very low score because I would have just been so frustrated with all the driving. It's only because I had external help that I was able to enjoy the game. So there's just so many places where you could get tripped up if you just go into a cold. 
So it's it's pretty poor game design in a lot of ways, but with you know with enough help, it can be overcome. And I think that that's probably another reason that we're seeing such divisive reviews. Is I think that that kind of depends on who got tripped up where. Because if you get tripped up at the wrong time, you can just be totally screwed. So. I will endeavour to play it before the end of the year, and uh, we'll see if it ends up in our in our end of the year show. I mean, I know a lot of people are saying it is you know one of the best games this year, and a lot of people saying it's one of the worst. So, uh, who knows what we'll be saying at the end of the um, year? I would I would recommend it overall. Like I said, at first I had was unsure. I thought the, I thought that it was going to take too long and and just be kind of a slog, but it it's worth it. I'd say is it. I imagine it's still a, a pretty good, pretty cheap price in the UK. In the UK. Well, it, like I said, uh, it's going to come out um, um, September 17, so um, I'm not sure if it will come out at full price. I oh, they haven't announced. It, yeah, I don't think it, it it came out at full price anywhere else. Did it? Did it come out at full um, price? No, it came out at 20 retail. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, it was a very cheap game, and you know there were plenty of sales on top of that. So I think that was a I think it actually sold quite well. I mean, I mean it's I'm the thing I'm looking on the on the on the Wikipedia article, and then, and it says um, Gamasutra reported that it it was leading the Xbox 360 sales uh, on Amazon.com on its on the week of April 9, which I guess is it was a on couple sale, of weeks, a couple of months up. after it came out. Yeah, so you know it was it was blitzing after. I guess you know people like Jim Sterling had said what they said. <laughs> Ready? It's more than just a collection of great gaming podcasts. It's more than just a large community of smart, friendly gamers. It's more than your average gaming experience. Whatever you get from your current gaming experience, get more. Come on, listen. So, um, speaking of divisive games, Senan, you've you got to play uh, another game, at least a little bit of another game before it came out. That's that the embargo lifted on yesterday. It's got all sorts of mixed reviews. So uh, tell us about your impressions of Metroid Other M. Well, um, I really didn't get to play it for very long. Uh, this is the thing. I, I was invited to a pre-release event um, at Piccadilly Circus in London. It was in... One, I don't know if you guys have HMV stores over there, but HMV are an electronics store. And they have... Um, the one in Piccadilly Circus London has this, like... Gamer base thing. It's it's called Gamer Base, and it's essentially kind of a lot of PCs connected together where you can play, come in and play games for a bit. You know, you pay to play something for an hour or two hours, whatever. Um, but they 
didn't have any Wii stations there um, traditionally. Like they don't usually have Wii stations and these things, so they had to draft all these Wii stations for the for the game, and they really only had a limited number. And it was, I think, they got more people coming to this event than maybe they expected, or or maybe they had less Wii stations. But anyway, it was packed. And in the end, uh, there were only a few of us from the press there, and they we had one station to play the game between us. And at some point they said, you know what, there are more public people here than press people, so we're going to kind of give your station away to the public, which was like, fine, but, you know, then what am I doing? <laughs> um, so I got, I got to play it for for like an hour, uh, or sort of on and off for an hour, you know, I watched someone else play it for a bit, and I got to go, and then I watched someone else have it, and I, I got to go. Um, but, I, you know, it was still like a lot of things I, I could draw from that hour. I mean, the, the first thing was, my word, is there a lot of story in this game? Like there is a lot. In, in, if that first hour is anything to go by, and I know a lot of a lot of games have first, you know, a lot of story in their first hours. But by the sounds of it, by the sounds of reviews, that it, it that was a, uh, you know, that 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 first hour where there's plenty of cutscenes and not that much play actually in comparison, uh, is actually um, a good indication of how the rest of the game is going to be. Because, you know, I mean, Metroid games they have they've grown in in terms of their story through Prime, you know. One, two, and three have had more and more story, but it's not what you'd associate with Metroid, would you? Can we talk about what's your background with Metroid games? I remember at one point you hadn't played any of them. Um, right, I, I've played I've played all the two D ones now, um, and I've dabbled in the three D ones. Like I've okay. I've tried a bit of it, and uh, you know I, I've. I, I, I'll admit I've not really played enough of the Metro Prince to, to really get an idea of them, but I've I've read enough, um, and I I get where they're coming from, and I know that this is a you know a big departure really, in terms of what's come before, because you're you're going to this almost like a sort of shadow complex thing really, where you've got the 3D, to, you know side scrolling thing, so it looks like it's 2D, but you're using the 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 vert the the, the I don't know what the word is. I guess you call it the Z, the Z line, the Z axis, where you're you're moving away and, and two from the camera, um, and then the camera actually switches as you go around, uh, as you go around the, the level. So if you turn left, say down a corridor, the camera will switch down to, to be behind you. So you're you're suddenly, you're, you know, the play hasn't changed, but you're now behind Samus as she as she moves around the, the, the level. Wait, look, let me ask you something. I've been really baffled by this just reading reviews and previews so i had somehow gotten the impression from some preview I, i'd read and i may have just totally misinterpreted it but i know that you play with a d-pad and i kept imagining that you could only move left and right and that even when the camera was like facing more in front of you you were still moving you know vaguely to the left or vaguely to the right or do you have full control you have full control. You you can move uh, left, right, up, and down through this through this three D plane, um, which is a little. You know, it's not like so. It's not like Shadow Complex where so you're why, specifically kept in the line. Why are they using the D pad then? That just seems so backwards. Is it just for nostalgic reasons? Because people like holding a a controller that way. Because you know, it wouldn't be any more complicated to just use the the analog stick on the nunchuck. Well, this is the thing. Like I. I, I when I, I I wrote a little piece for Beefjack and I said my my first impression of the controls that it, it does seem a bit awkward because not only is movement tied to the D-pad but so is weapon aiming. So you're you're shooting because well, it has to be, doesn't it? Because if you're playing with the Wiimote horizontally, what else are you going to use to to aim the weapon? Um, so so you're pressing I think it's uh, two on the on the 
Wiimote to shoot and moving the D-pad. And what this was, I mean, I, I, I found it okay, but you could see a lot of other people were having this problem where they're, they're running and trying to shoot at the same time, and they're just like you know moving around like a, a headless chicken, running into walls. It's, it's not at all intuitive. It, it really, like you say, it doesn't make much sense when you, when you do have the nunchuck as an option. So, and especially, it doesn't make sense as, as putting it as, the, as a sole option to control. Like that, that's what really does confuse. Like, why wouldn't you say you could do it with the with the nunchuck and and the Wii what problem? What was the problem with running around shooting? Because when you just be shooting the direction you're facing, like you would in a, a ratchet game or a jack game. Well, yeah, but the, the the thing is, is that if you well, you think about with a with a Jack and Daxter game, you have control of the camera, in in those mm-hmm. games, you don't have control of the camera here. So you've got this fixed this fixed thing, and really, it it you're not. There is a slight difference. It's it's. I'm trying to think of other sort of 3D games and how they handle how they shooting. You 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 know you most most sort of 3D games which are I guess comparable. You will have control of your movement and control of the way you're you're, you're shooting, and they'll be different. They'll be separate. Uh, and or if they're not, then you're usually static. Don't typically have the, a, a game where shooting and movement is tied to one thing, and that's and they both. If you move in one way, you'll you'll move. But you'll be doing both things. You're moving and shooting in that direction. So it it, it doesn't look great, and it it kind of it it feels a bit unwieldy. But it it's not like at all game breaking. Like I, I think it's I don't know. It just it it like you said. It it doesn't really make sense. That's the thing. Yeah, I mean, especially if they're doing this thing where you have to then move the move the controller point at the screen, and that sounds kind of jolting if your character is say facing the camera. And then you look at the screen, and now you're all of a sudden behind the visor. That sounds right. really um, unwieldy to me. I'm just—it's it's interesting that you sort of put up this question of well, what do other games do? I guess it's the thing. Like in terms of you think of how Super Metroid works, and then yes, that's exactly how it works. You move and you shoot with the same the same button. So I guess it does compare to that. But it, yeah, but it Super Metroid, seem... you were only moving along one axis, exactly, and, always, and still and and aim. Um, so it was far simpler, right? It just it doesn't it it doesn't feel it, it, I don't know it, it feels very old. It doesn't feel quite right. But having said that, I, I only got to play the game for like what like I said a very short amount of time. So I'm not going to make a huge judgment on the controls. But it, it just it confuses me that you could do you can do other things with you know you got other options, uh, and it, it it seems like a, a giant restriction. And especially you think in terms of the D pad, uh, like. It, why not use the 360 degrees of the nunchuck, the controller? Yeah, like, why, why would you restrict yourself to, to four directions? I'm so baffled by that. I mean, 3D games have used the analog stick, you know, for the last 14 years or so since Mario 64. Like, right. What, you know, is there any advantage to using the D-pad? Um, not that I really see. I mean, I just, it, I, I don't know. Is it, I guess that, the like you said, that, people have about the DS is that it doesn't have an analog stick. Right. Like, <sighs> I mean, this is the thing. This is I'm 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 now kind of come to a kind of understanding of what my point was. Like, if you have if you have two, you typically have two ways to control, uh, kind of movement, or, or you've got two things where, like you say, you've got two analog sticks in the PSP, or you have the D-pad and the analog stick on on a on a 
controller or two analog sticks on a controller, whatever. And you'll use both to do to do something. And typically, it's movement and camera. And if you're not controlling the camera, then it's movement and shooting. Usually, I think that makes that. That's what my point was. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're restricting yourself here because you've only got the D-pad. So you've only got movement and shooting. It just it doesn't make sense as a as a implementation when you've got the 3D plane and and like I said, a lot of players were were running around crazy, uh, looking kind of <laughs> looking kind of stupid as they as they moved around as well. But again, uh, you know, who knows? In an, in an hour down the line, they could look like pros using the control scheme. I, I don't know. But the, <laughs> my point was, we kind of got distracted down this line of talk about just about the controls. Sorry, um, it has to be controlled, so I, I, I had to inject. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like it, it, it's it's kind of interesting in in, in that um, it's trying to replicate the 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 puzzle play uh, of previous Metroids. So uh, in in this third person perspective rather than this first person perspective, um, so it's kind of got. There is. A, it does feel a bit at times like Shadow Complex, like I said, um, where you're kind of in trying to think of using puzzles in the 3D space as well. Like there's a lot of puzzles where you you'll you'll go into first person view and you'll be looking around a room, or you'll you'll uh, play as a you'll go into the morph ball, say, and you'll find a tunnel and you'll you'll change perspectives as you go around the tunnel. Um, so it's 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 unusual. Um, I, I, I don't, I'm, I, I'm, I don't know. I, I, I find, I kind of left it at the end, sort of thinking it, it could work, but I'm not sure. Like I, I, I will need to play a lot more. I really only got such a, such a short amount of time. The one, but like I said before, we kind of got down a route. There is a lot of story, like, like I was saying, like there is a load of story, and I wonder how people are going to take that because you know you've got Samus talking for the, you know, really properly first time in the series. Um, How did you take it based on uh, your hour with it? I mean, I, it, it's never been in my mind that she has to stay silent. I've never, I've never kind of perceived her as a character who has to be silent throughout her time. So I, it didn't really offend me, if that's what you're saying. I didn't really get a feel for her, her voice actress or the story properly. Um, at the same time, like I, there are plenty of people who you know are very fervent believers that. That, you know, Metroid has come to success because you have the silent protagonist and you have this this very isolated uh, universe that she's in. And and in, and in uh, Metroid Other M, you're going to have a lot. There are lots of other characters who you're talking to a lot of the time, um, and you've got her talking, and you've got this big long backstory as well, which she goes back to where you see her in the academy. Um, you know, people. I can I can imagine the people who are kind of fervent believers that are going to be a little bit unsettled by Other M and might. <laughs> might not like it just because of that. I mean, I, I would be kind of weirded out if Gordon Freeman started talking in the next Half-Life, say. That would actually, for me, be a real negative decision. So I can see where they're coming from. Well, I mean, I, I saw Cassandra, but just based on some of the reviews I've read, the problem isn't that she talks about Electric Ball have taken umbrage with the way that she's portrayed in the game. She's just very wimpy and whiny and always following orders and I think every review I've read has mentioned uh, the plot hole that you're you have all your abilities but you're not authorized to use to use them so you just have to wait for authorization and why do they not allow you to use your various suit for any reason ever <laughs> right like, it, 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 it sounds a bit contrived to me doesn't it I, I've got to say mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know if you read um Phil Kohler's Game Informer review, but he 
he was mentioning how there's a, a scene where they go back and explain how Samus became came to be known as the soldier who gives thumbs down during mission briefings. What? I am so baffled by this. It, I, I think I was laughing for about five minutes when I read that. I'm just imagining her sitting there with her thumbs down, just scowling for 20 minutes. <laughs> right. I mean, the, the one that worried me a lot was, um, uh, I think it's, I can't remember his name, but it's a reviewer at 1UP, and he compared oh, games... Just- uh, yeah, you're right, Justin Haywald, that's right, Justin Haywald. And he compared the the story to Metal Gear Solid 2, which is not great because you know that that's a convoluted, poorly told story. That one, Metal Gear Solid Two, I'm afraid. Um, and you know if that that's how it is, then we'll see. But at the same time, like there have been plenty of good reviews, and and the the Metacritic score at the moment is 80. So who knows? And I, I'm 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 not about to judge after 20 minutes of the game. So right. um, I, I I still really want to play it. It looks like a fun game to me, but almost everything I've heard is it has sound. It has um. Uh, what's what I'm looking for? Decrease my enthusiasm for it to some degree. Um, I don't know if you saw the the X Play review. Abby there gave it two out of five, and they they were really brutal to it. And it it looks a little more fun than that to me. But you know, I'll I'll see when I get a chance to get my hands on it. But I you know I was pretty set on on purchasing that game day one, and now I'm not so sure. I might kind of wait for price drop on it or see what some of my other colleagues have to say. Right. Well, I'll be I'll be reviewing the game over at Beefjack. So, and uh, uh, I mean, I, I it's interesting. Like, I think a, a lot of the reaction is that when you think of the heritage of Metroid, like how many bad Metroid games have there been? When you mm-hmm. terms, in terms of you sort of think of the overall reviews, and like even the, how many just good Metroid games there have been, most of them have been superlatively reviewed. Like, this is one of the most highly revered series out there in gaming. Uh, and even like you know, you you compare it to Zelda, like it hasn't yet really had that drop in terms of review scores, which later Zeldas have started to get in terms of the DS games. So like I, I, I think there is that pressure on you know you've got a different developer involved, you've got Team Ninja involved. There is a lot of pressure on this game, and I, and I think people maybe are quick to be critical if it's not what they perceive, but maybe it does warrant that 2 out of 5. I, I, I won't know till I play it. Yeah, I'm a little worried that it might have um, Phantom Menace Syndrome, where people are afraid to admit that it sucks because it's part of your franchise and they see the elements they like. I mean, I'll be the first to admit, I liked Phantom Menace the first time I saw it, because like, I, I couldn't believe that it was bad. I'm just like, well, you know, that seems Darth Maul was cool, and you know, Naboo looked cool, and it, you know, it's it's, it's Star Wars, you know, it's still. If you fun take to if you take that. Jar Jar Binks out of that film, I think it's a good film. Uh, I'd say it still has a lot of issues, but that, that would be <laughs> one step to improving it. But I think it, I'm a little worried this might be one of those cases where people, you know, want to like it so much that they're looking past it, and then on the end of the spectrum, people who are just so bitter at it for not living up. Um, well, that's the thing. You know, I I could be wrong. Maybe it'll uh, be be the opposite and have a, a big defense force behind it after some point because it does look like it does a lot of interesting things. And I'm I'm just dying to see how it controls. Like I and you know see how how it feels to find all the hidden stuff because that's always one of the big appeals of Metroid. And I don't know. I, I think it'll be fun, but I'm not sure that it's. Uh, the galaxy uh, it's going to, to be as fun as I'd hoped. 
Right, that's it for part one of this co-op mode. Jeff and I will join you in a few days' time for part two. Until then, take care. Bye for now.